Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Flagship Podcast. Episode 6. Episode 6, baby. Taylor Estes is here. Bobby Burton will be here. Alex Halstead from CycloneAlerts.com will be here. And um, and we're glad you're here. And if you're not over at Horns247.com hanging out with us, then come on. If you call yourself a Texas fan and you're not at uh, Horns247.com getting all the scoop, and talking about it amongst uh, Longhorns fans all over the world, connected in that great community called the flagship, mind you. <laughs> um, Taylor, I mean, am I right or am I right? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're a Texas fan and you're not over at Horns 24-7. I mean, listen, Chip and I have been at pretty much every single <laughs> outlet in the, in the oh, market, yeah. in the network, in the industry. You know, this is one of the most connected staffs that we have ever had um some of the best sources everything you know you get it all you get the recruiting scoop from our guys mike rochin clint buckley then you get myself chip brown bobby burton the godfather of the entire basically internet recruiting and team site uh industry and then jeff howe who provides great analysis so definitely go on over to horns 247.com and sign up today that's right and um no one can match our sources. So for scoop, then you just head on over to horns247.com. All right, so Taylor, we are uh, we're in game week. Obviously, K State uh, came and went. It was another absolute. Are you kidding me? Uh, roller coaster ride uh, down to the uh, down to the end. Another walk off. They're like the Astros. Uh, well, back in the ALCS. <laughs> Um, when they were hitting walk-off home runs to win games, Cameron Dicker does it again. Another walk-off field goal against both Kansas schools in the Big 12. This guy is is getting used to having to, you know, finish games. Yeah, you know, my nickname for Cameron Dicker is the walking meme because I swear that kid just, <laughs> he does things. And people, I mean, if you saw the, the pregame, photo that was surfacing of Dicker dressed in his suit with uh, his shirt unbuttoned and his tie loose. I mean, it's like these kickers want to party. Kickers party. You know what oh, I mean? Like they're, they're a different breed. And he's my walking meme. That's my new name for him. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I love that. I, I mean, I asked him, I'm like, and, you know, the pressure of the moment and especially with everything on the line, he's like, I just like kicking it through so everybody can go celebrate. <laughs> Like, just wants to party. That's, that's all awesome. it is. Yeah. Oh yeah. He wants to. He wants to get the party started for everyone. He does. Love that. He shows Love up that. ready to party. Clearly, because uh... shows up ready to go. <laughs> all right. So Taylor, there were there were some positives coming out of this K State game. Yeah. And and by gosh, the defense. What? I know. The defense just completely shut down K State's running attack. Uh. 26 carries for 51 yards it was you know two yards a carry it was fantastic and Keandre Coburn talking about it after the game said man we had Stearns and Foster back this is the group that we we were with in spring ball this is the group we were putting it all together with in fall camp and we're finally back together again and lo and behold we get news this week that Chris Brown yeah, another snot bubble king um, is is going to come back and try and play with this uh, cast on his fractured forearm. Um, but man, 
that is fantastic news because I think Chris Brown, B.J. Foster, and Brandon Jones put the physical in in physical defense for Texas. The Bash Brothers, for sure. I mean, the Bash Brothers. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's funny because you know we at Horns twenty four seven we have a our staff chat or text you know that we all send things in and. And I sent something on Sunday. On Wednesday. (laughs) Yeah, that too. (laughs) But in our group text, you know, I sent on Sunday, I was like, I'm hearing, you know, Chris Brown is possibly coming back. And I almost didn't want to send it because I was like, this seems way too early, you know, but I I trusted my source on it. And I sent that in there. And lo and behold, you know, Tom Herman opens this press conference essentially saying like the surprising news is this. So, you know, I mean, I think it even surprised him and those at Texas, clearly, because, I mean, you know, the initial diagnosis was what about, like, probably not till the final two games of the season, maybe, if he was going to return after right. he had that surgery. So, yeah, you know, Chip, I think that's a huge, it's a huge addition for the Texas defense. And, and I'm actually, I got to be honest, you know, we are, we stay very unbiased, you know, in our coverage and whatnot. But I was pretty happy to actually see this defense play well because I feel like I've been kind of out on an island a little bit being the person like you guys. Like injuries do matter whether Texas fans want to believe it or not. You know, and I I said in last week's, you know, episode five of the flagship prior to the K-State game, you know, I'm going to basically may have to eat my words our next recording if this defense doesn't do well. And I got to be honest. When they went down fourteen to nothing, I was just like, "Oh no!" <laughs> you know, oh my it was gosh! Kind of one of those like, "Oh gosh!" Like I sound like an idiot, <laughs> all of that. So thank you, Texas defense, for making me not sound too stupid by uh, coming back with a vengeance with those two um, guys and Caden Stearns and BJ Foster returning to the lineup. Yeah, I, I thought that um, I thought that Texas invited K State to throw the ball. They were playing off coverage giving K-State's receivers room to run. And then, whammo, Skylar Thompson gets hot. I mean, opens the game 13 of 15 passing, sets a career passing record before halftime. Uh, The sixth quarterback in nine games to set a career passing record against Texas. Uh, But we'll move on. Um, And then then Todd Orlando adjusted, brought brought the coverage up tighter, and really got after... Uh, the running game and, and was able to to pressure Skylar Thompson a bit. Tavondre Sweat got his first career sack at Texas, and and BJ Foster, you know, one and a half tackles for loss, and in, including half a sack. And um, Brandon Jones had a great game. Caden Stearns was second in tackles. So this this is the defense that that we were expecting, and and now you add Chris Brown back. This. This gives me confidence that Texas can can go up to Ames, Iowa. Defense travels. Defense travels mm-hmm. in cold weather, and physicality in cold weather uh, has a big impact. And as long as as long as those guys are on the field, VJ Foster, Chris Brown, Brandon Jones, and and look, I think Malcolm Roach and Keandre Coburn have been fantastic up front. Mm-hmm. If you look at what they're asked to do. They're doing it. I mean, they're being disruptive. They're they're getting after the running game, and and they should have a lot of confidence coming out of that game. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, there, there's no reason not to, you know. And I think the thing that a lot of Texas fans were happy and pleased to see was the adjustments coming out of halftime. That's been something that a lot of people have been kind of complaining about a little bit, and rightfully so, is there hasn't – you haven't seen tons of halftime adjustments from either side of the ball, to be honest. Um, but when the defense really needed it most, they really stepped up. I thought that – you know, I was I was very, very surprised. All of the tweets coming from media was all about, you know, in the first quarter, the career day that Skylar Thompson was having. And, you know, it was almost like the defense heard it and shut it down. And so I think that, you know, you win you win games because of defense. That's the reality of the situation. And, you know, you can you can win with an offense, but you don't wanna have to rely on a shootout in every single game. I think Texas fans know that all too well, especially this season with how much the defense was struggling after some of those injuries. But, you know, this is going to be a tough challenge, you know, heading into Iowa State, Chip, because this is not some scrub Iowa State team. You know, their their backs are against the wall a little bit. They may be coming off the ropes. uh, You know, that seems to be the the kind of thing that Texas likes to talk about right now because, you know, heading into the season, Iowa State had hopes of potentially contending for a Big 12 title. And, you know, now they're sitting at three and three in Big 12 play, you know, five and four on the season. And I just really think that this is going to be a huge challenge for Texas, not only going on the road, but playing in Jack Trice Stadium. I mean, that's not the easiest place to play. And as Texas, you know, the players and fans know all too well as of as of, you know, recent history has shown, it hasn't been the easiest place for Texas to play. So I think that this is going to be a really interesting challenge that Texas is going to be faced with. I think Iowa State does things differently than what a lot of other teams in the Big 12 does offensively. Um, You know, I think Texas, they're trying to kind of mold their defense around what Iowa State has done defensively. And they have some guys back to possibly, you know, pull that off. But Brock Purdy's not, you know, Brock Purdy is a solid quarterback. I mean, you know, this kid's only a sophomore. He's a sophomore, you know, and he's playing – well above his years, in my opinion, um, you know, he, he came up just one point shy of Oklahoma, you know, in a shootout 42-41 game there from that, you know, went down last weekend. But I think that it's going to be interesting to see kind of how Iowa State enters this game, in my opinion, because if it's kind of a make or break situation, not saying, you know, that their, you know, season's over or anything like that. But still, I mean, this this is a team that had the same hopes that Texas had entering the year. Now they're coming off of a loss, they're returning home, and both Texas and them are still trying to kind of contend for the top, you know, the you know, top two, three spots in the Big 12 Conference. If Iowa State, you know, comes out and punches Texas in the mouth, then it could be a long day for Texas. And, uh, I mean, the, ex- the odds experts in Vegas are seeing something because Texas open as a, what, six-and-a-half point underdog and now it's moved to a seven point underdog right as of yep. Tuesday yeah so I mean yep. I think you know I'm curious what your thoughts are on just kind of like the mentality of both of these programs because they're kind of in a similar situation in my opinion yeah I think that the um and I've, I've said all along that my my biggest concern was the offense um that they they appeared completely uh, rudderless against Oklahoma and TCU in terms of their commitment to the running game, how they were going to run the football. And look, we saw the best game Keontae Ingram uh, has ever played at Texas against K-State. 
Uh, I don't know if it's because Jordan Whittington was available. Um, and and obviously, I I thought they might try to get Whittington onto the field uh, in that game at home. But Keontae Ingram had the hot hand, and he had it from the beginning, and they didn't feel the need to bring in Jordan Whittington. And look, they're going to be smart about this because he has four games uh, that he has three more games he can play in. Mm-hmm. And preserve a red shirt. And I would imagine this game is going to be one of those that he plays in because it's it's it is do or die. I mean, um, look, you beat Iowa State and suddenly your goal becomes a little more real. Right. Um, then then you're basically playing Baylor for the right to get into the Big 12 championship. Um, and, and depending on what OU does against Baylor this this week, if. If OU beats Baylor and then Texas beats Baylor, then it, it is basic, basically uh, for for um, control of your destiny to the Big 12 title game. Then Texas would only have to beat Texas Tech to to get the rematch with Oklahoma. So I would imagine we'll see Jordan Whittington in this game. And I, I think because of the hamstring injury to Colin Johnson, which puts his availability um, in jeopardy, and no Cade Brewer, I think this is the week that Tom Herman gets creative with Jordan Whittington, uses some two-back set, um, flexes him out to a wide receiver position. He can flex him out uh, to the to the X receiver position. We've, we've seen that before. Right. Um, and Tom Herman used a lot of two-back stuff at, at Houston. So, you know, this is, this is to me – great coaching going head to head. I mean, the, Matt Campbell, Tom Herman, both seen as, you know, the, the rising stars in college coaching. Nick Saban called Tom Herman a star. And, and Matt Campbell is a guy whose name comes up for every big job. So, right. you know, and they're both been in the league three years. So this is a, it's a big moment. And, and Matt Campbell's never beaten Texas. It's the only, team in the big 12 he has not beaten so there's all kinds of incentive on the line and you're right about iowa state they're not happy with where they are they're five and four they they let a couple games get away and and now they're they've lost two in a row and they're coming home and their fans are going to be it doesn't matter how cold it's going to be the temperature forecast is right around freezing uh 32 degrees for saturday night but those fans are going to be going bonkers oh yeah and they live for this. So it, it, it doesn't matter how cold it is. That atmosphere is going to be electric. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of the cold, Chip, you were the one that draw, drew the short straw on this one to go cover this <laughs> game. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious, are you going to bring out some, you know, some fur coats or anything? <laughs> what What's the, the ensemble going to be for I've you? I've got a huge <laughs> Russian hat. Uh, it's a huge Russian mink hat. I look like... Uh, uh, Nurmagomedov, that UFC fighter with my Russian hat on, but, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm fearful, uh, <laughs> for how far the parking lot is to the press box. Cause as I remember, it's a mile. Yes. It's not that's very cool. close. That's right. Oh, <laughs> From where the, the post game is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wind. If you've ever been to Jack Trice, it is in the middle of cornfields. Yes. So the wind just whips and it will, It'll be a nightmare, but 
then I'll be in the comfy confines of the press box while these gladiators slug it out on the frozen tundra of Jack Tri Stadium. Hey, well, you know what the good thing, though, about that is? So Jack Tri Stadium, unless something has changed, I was there in 2017, and I've been there a couple of times now. They're one of the only press boxes that doesn't have air conditioning. So when Texas has played them, you know, earlier in the year, it was like humid in that press box. Like, I remember, oh, oh yeah, it's so bad. Box. Yeah, I mean, I remember being like, do you, I, I remember saying to one of their SIDs, like, does your AC not work? And they're like, oh, we don't have AC. <laughs> it was like such a foreign That's concept. Right. I'm like, what? Like, how do you not have AC? But this is why, you know, it's, I'm looking right now at the forecast as of Tuesday at 530 Central time. It is 16 degrees and it feels like three degrees. So have fun with that, buddy. You didn't, you didn't happen <laughs> to ask that, uh, that fine gentleman if they had heat i'm gonna i'm gonna put it out there they probably do i would imagine that would not be very um healthy or sustainable working conditions for anybody that would have to be in that press box if it feels like three outside and you know they have all those windows up there so oh yeah yeah the low today or i'm sorry the low yesterday monday was uh negative four um thank so you al broker <laughs> Don't just yes, come here for weather news too. You never know what you get at Horns twenty four seven, right? And not the flagship podcast. You may get us talking about chips ensemble or weather or you know, one thing I will say, Texas does, if you make your way down to the field, at least in the past, they used to travel with heated benches. And I know that all too well because I think back to the freezing game that I, we covered um, at Baylor in twenty thirteen. And, you know, it was sleeting out. It was terrible. I was on the field for that because I was doing video oh, stuff. And I, I kicked some band members off of the Texas bench because I was like, move over. <laughs> I needed to sit down at halftime. Hey, trombone, slide <laughs> yeah. over, will you? Like, I didn't even care how rude I was. I was just like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And just like sprawled on that bench. So if you're on the field and you have a chance to sit on that bench, that might help you a little bit. Okay. All right. Good to know. I'll, uh. I'll have to try to finagle my way into that action. Yeah. Be like, what, Tom? I'm just trying to be a part of the team. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and speaking of weather, Tom Herman reminisced this week about his days as the offensive coordinator at Iowa State under Paul Rhodes from uh, 2009 through 2011 and talked about how he had a walkout basement that usually was – buried in snowdrifts uh, every winter uh, so that he could not walk out of his walkout basement for several months. Oh my so uh, Tom Herman is no stranger uh, to Ames and, and the cold winters or the winter-like conditions even in November. So uh, Tom Herman can, can talk firsthand to his team about what to expect. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, you know, on that note, what to expect. Let's bring in um, publisher of Horns247.com, Bobby Burton, to get his take and Chip's take in their rapid-fire segment, both of the Kansas State game and what they're looking at at Iowa State. So let's bring in Bobby Burton. Bobby Burton, how are you doing? Good. How's it going, Chip? Hey, man, it is going. I keep looking at the weather forecast in Ames. It keeps saying six degrees and when I woke up this morning it said minus five feels like minus 14 so I'm really getting pumped to go to Ames Iowa this weekend <laughs> you gonna, okay, not, you gonna, not really you're gonna take those uh, hand warmers with you oh my gosh those hand in, warmers the pack oh yeah warmers yeah I mean 
I'll have a snowmobile mask. It'll be it'll be pathetic, pretty much. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess this is gonna be at least for some uh, Texas freshmen. It'll be the coldest game they've ever played in. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, Keandre Coburn was talking about it today. He's like, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna say I'm excited to go play in the cold, but it's football, and yeah. it's on the line, Bobby. I mean. Uh, if we thought last week was, you know, all stakes poker, uh, then going on the road against a desperate Iowa State team that's lost two games in a row. Uh, by the way, Tom Herman, the only um, the only team in the Big 12 that Matt Campbell has not beaten is Texas. Um, just a little more incentive for the Iowa State Cyclones, but. Um, I mean, Bobby, I'll, I'll, I'll start it off with this. What did you take from the K-State game that you think gives you more confidence or more belief uh, that they can take that show on the road and get it, get it done again against Iowa State, if, if anything? Yeah, the only I, – it doesn't – it's not uh, like it's an overwhelming amount of confidence, Chip, so I don't want to, you know – dole out some false hope here but i think that uh, getting the safeties back um with stearns and foster uh made me feel like the texas defense actually had some people back there that might be able to cover guys um and support the run uh at the same time uh texas made some tweaks on the defensive front uh going to a more true man true four-man look with osai up there on the line of scrimmage and, and splitting the ends out a tad. So I, I think that gives me some confidence that they're actually a getting some personnel and B making some adjustments. Uh, and so if anything, it's that because I think they're getting ready to run into what may end up being the most effective offense in the big 12 right now um, with possible, possible exception of, what they're doing at Oklahoma State. I think I think Iowa State has a quarterback, a young running back that's electric, and some receivers that are just uh, they're playing really well right now. Uh, I know OU's numbers are astronomical, but take them out of the equation, and, and you know I think you could make an argument that OSU and Iowa State have the two best offenses in the league. Yep, and they they present a different challenge. Uh, in terms of their tight ends, and I honestly I like the way Texas matches up with with the tight ends because I think they Iowa State tries to get uh, Kohler and and uh, Chase Allen and uh, Saner on linebackers, and Texas can can you know, take linebackers out and with Chris Brown coming back on the field. Now we got to see how he can, how much he can handle with that cast on his arm, but they can, you know, they can take Juwan Mitchell or Delia Dayway off the field and, and, and match linebacker or excuse me, match safeties with, with the tight end. So, you know, I, I think Texas can, uh, can match up with Iowa state's offense and, and they, they got after Brock Purdy last year. Now, that was in Austin. They sacked him six times. They need to to make sure that, you know, Todd Orlando has 
you know, the, his mojo back. And I think he did start to get his mojo back a little bit in the K-State game. He certainly didn't start off the game with it. He was, you know, blitzing like crazy on third down, even third and three. It led to a 70-yard touchdown. And, and then he settled down and stopped blitzing as much. And they were able to get K-State off the field on every third down in the second half. So I, I think there's no question Orlando has been struggling uh, to call the game with different personnel on the field. And he's, he's, he, you know, honestly, Bobby, he's not had to coach young inexperienced players in about seven years. I mean, he inherited veteran guys at Houston. He had a veteran team at Utah state before he went to Houston. And then he inherited Malik Jefferson and uh, some experienced guys, Gary Johnson, when he got to Texas and, you know, he's had to, to, start all over and he had Chris Boyd and Devontae Davis. Now he's having to, you know, oversee a defense with a lot of inexperience on it. And he didn't handle it very well, quite honestly. And he said, he said as much. So, I mean, if Texas is going to have any chance to win this game Saturday in Ames, Iowa, Todd Orlando has got to get back to calling games with confidence and not hoping, not hope. Look, I, I first of all, I want to talk about Chris Brown. I, I, he is such a bad mismatch on tight ends. It's not even funny. So I, I think that. Oh, that you're gonna. Oh, I, we're going at it. Yeah, I disagree with you. That's my guy. There, I, I, I think that he is a very poor matchup, particularly on the two tight tight ends that Ohio or that Iowa State uses. Kohler in particular. Kohler has really long arms. Chris Brown is a quick, quicker guy, a hard hitter. He does not have very good wingspan. And I think that for that reason, those Iowa State tight ends aren't necessarily overly physical. They're more ball catchers. And so I, I actually think that that's a bad, bad matchup for Texas. Now, B.J. Foster would be different. Caden Stearns would be slightly different. But, but uh, I, Overshown would be perfect for those guys because of his long, long arms and that kind of stuff. Um, but Chris Brown is, is a mismatch, in my opinion, with those guys. Well, he's got to, they've got to hit those guys coming off the line. I mean, you've just got to mug. Uh, those yeah, guys. And, and that's going to be my point is I don't think that Chris Brown's arms are, I, I think that's going to be a hard, hard road to hoe for them if that's their plan. So, well, they'll have BJ in the nickel. We'll see. Um, I have a, if, if there was a, if there was a team, or not a team, but if there was something that gave you the most consternation following the K-State game heading into the Iowa State game, what is that? Um, the penalties. I mean, they're just not playing disciplined football. And when you've got Sam Cosme and Parker Braun committing penalties that are putting you behind the chains in do-or-die situations, that's frightening. I mean, do-or-die situations. And that 13-play drive that ate 6.45 off the clock, they had to overcome, you know, penalties on their, you know, two best offensive linemen. So, you know, this is it's, – it's a trend that has been going on for a while, and it's, it's got to stop. I mean, um, they beat themselves. They beat themselves. Texas beats itself. In, in these losses as much as anything or, or even their close wins 
over both the Kansas schools, they have uh, put themselves in really bad yeah, situations. I, I completely on the the lack of carries overs. Yeah, I mean the Jalen Green cheap shot was it's terrible. Ridiculous. Terrible. Yeah, I mean just unnecessary, ridiculous, anything and everything you want to say, and yet there we are. We're, we've got a guy that's hopefully helping you return and get some semblance of a pass defense and now he's going to be out for a half so um i agree with you the lack of discipline slash penalties slash just not smart football i mean you can add at some level you can add tom herman calling a reverse on the five yard line and first and goal into that mix i just i I think that because that's not necessarily what that is. I mean, look, Jalen Greens was boneheaded. Parker Braun and Sam Cosme were hurtful, but they they came in the style of play. You know, I, I, it's just, it's these small things that add up to something big. I, I completely, I agree with where you're going with that answer, I, I guess is the best way to put it, because it's just... Uh, you know, you take two steps forward, and then all of a sudden you take a step back, and that's right. that's the end of it. You know, right? I mean, Keontae Ingram's putting on a show. He's playing the best game he's ever played at Texas. You got Colin Johnson and Devin Duvernay again going for uh, eight, nine catches and and a, a hundred yards, and they need every bit of it. And then you have stupid penalties. I mean, even the illegal formation, which ended up being okay negated a touchdown. I mean, it, uh, it, and people were saying, Oh, they did that on purpose to run clock and move back and give Dick. No, they didn't. I confirmed that with Texas before I left DKR Saturday night, it, it ended up being fortuitous. Tom Herman said the football gods were smiling on us, um, on that penalty, but it negated a touchdown. I mean, it's, it's, it's got to stop, Bobby. They, they can't get away with that in Ames, Iowa. They can't get away with it in Waco, Texas the next two weeks. So they've, they've got to play with more confidence and, and assurance. They're, they're, I mean, the holding penalties on Sam Cosme were terrible. The guy was by him. He's trying to hook him. I mean, everybody could see it. it it's like you can't, you can't get away with that. So um, they've just got to be better. All right, so when you look at, um, you know, the things that you would take away as a positive, things that they can can apply, um, you know, to their confidence tank or add to their confidence tank, what would those things be from last week? Well, I mentioned the defense. I, I, th- I do think getting the two the two de- the secondary guys back is a big deal. Um, I think Chris Brown helps them get lined up as much as anything. So, so I, I do think that's a positive. And then, then uh, I think that what, how they tweak the defensive front, um, lining up some, the ends outside the tackles on occasion gives you a better opportunity to get after the passer and put some pressure on the, the other team to really declare what they want to try to do. If they want to try to run inside, they got to really try to go inside where I, look, we can get into this until we're blue in the face and debating what Texas does on defense. Uh, but having corners seven and eight yards off, having a safety, a deep safety, 25 yards off, and, a, and then a safety and coverage 10 yards off, that's just not done by a lot of people these days. 
Well, don't you think um, they were trying to invite the the passing game early, and then it was like, uh oh, he's thirteen of fifteen. I mean, they didn't want him to run. They wanted to bait him into throwing, and then they did, and they were killing Texas and converting third downs left and right. I, I mean, he did adjust a little bit. No, he, ad- game- he adjusted in tight. He adjusted incredibly well. That's my whole point, though. Matt, uh, you know, Brock Purdy is not going to have that issue. So you're not going to get him to go and be Skylar Thompson as a quarterback. He's an entirely different animal. And I think that if Texas, from a defense perspective, doesn't try different fronts, if Texas doesn't try to challenge Iowa State at the line of scrimmage, Texas defense is going to get the ball moved on them like nobody's business, just like um, Kansas State did in the first half. I mean, it took a Brandon Jones forced fumble for Texas to really slow down Kansas State. And, And until then... They were moving the ball up and down. So, look, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly. I have all this confidence that Texas is going to do well. I will say that the secondary and the mix of the defensive front is one. I think the play of Keontae Ingram um, would be another, and you mentioned that. I thought Sam Ellinger had a, another good game. I actually thought he had close to a great game, and I felt like he missed missed a couple plays early, one on a – a fade to John Burt that was just an ill-advised throw. He should have taken some stuff underneath that he could have easily gotten yardage on. And then the, the interception late. Um, other than those two throws, I really didn't have a hard, a, a big problem with how Sam Elliott neg- navigated that game, I guess is a better way to put it. Yeah, I agree and, with you. I thought. And so if you're looking for positives – this is the first week after the bye, after he's had a run of two or three average to below average games, particularly TCU and OU. And so I think that that him regaining that confidence and actually trying to 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 take the run when it's there and not try to do too much. Like I said, I only thought he tried to do too much twice. One on a throw to Burt when he could have taken off and run for 10, 15 yards. And another the the pick that he threw on the on the post uh, on the skinny post to to Verne. Yeah, and I, I I thought on that final drive when he was five of five passing, he ran six times for ten yards. He, he, that's the Sam Ellinger that we've we've grown accustomed to or, or grew accustomed to last season, and we've been missing him. And and so to see him command that drive and and tom herman uh nice job of play calling i mean managing that final drive was unbelievable it, it's rare no one thought that texas was going to run 645 off the clock and and be able to to make that the the last possession of the game um and kudos to just sean jameson for breaking up that pass in the end zone that reminded me of cedric griffin breaking up the touchdown pass to ryan hamby against ohio state because if if K-State scores a touchdown right there and goes up seven with 645 left, uh, it's a whole new dimension of uh, testing the nerve of the, the Longhorns in the state that they were in. But they they handled it, and they, they, they got it done. One other trend that is, is just sneaky um, disappointing is the last five turnovers forced by Texas – have led to no points by the offense. And so that, uh, that needs to change. They've got to punish mistakes. 
better than that. And Brock Purdy threw three interceptions, including a pick six, uh, which turned out to be the game-winning touchdown for Oklahoma State. And that, that game was in Ames. It, he is not, you know, he, he'll turn it over. Now, he was fantastic against OU, and, and they, they picked up a whole lot of confidence scoring those three straight touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And, and Matt Campbell obviously felt it. He, he felt the momentum. And, and, and they really, the kid should have caught the pass. I mean, Purdy put it right in his stomach. Uh, and and uh, Motley made a great play to get it. I mean, basically just ripped the ball out of Pedway's hands. But um, Iowa State finished that OU game on a surge. Um, so they're they're you know I think they come into this game thinking okay it's time we've we've lost two in a row we're not where we want to be we're five and four we were hoping to contend for the Big 12 title game and and as you said they're a talented team and they know who they are so if Iowa State doesn't beat itself which is rare uh Texas is going to have to um they're going to be in another fourth quarter Last possession game, most likely. I, I have no no disagreement there. That you know, I will say this to people that aren't are unfamiliar with Iowa State. I I, I think Purdy is a gamer at quarterback, not unlike Sam Ellinger in some ways. Okay, can can really do some things. He's probably a better thrower of the football than Sam. Um, just has a little bit more feel for it, um, in my opinion. Uh, but if you haven't seen the Iowa State freshman running back, I think he's truly a fantastic young back. Um, yeah. Brees Hall, I, yep. if you watch him, he, he reminds me a little bit of two guys. Okay, One of them is Ronald Jones, who went to USC, who was out of McKinney. He scored the touchdown, the last, last second touchdown in the first half when Texas was playing USC out in the – in uh, at the Coliseum, him and Jamal Charles. I think I'm just telling you, he's got that kind of. I mean, he he has a gear of acceleration that is rare, and like Jamal, uh, he kind of bounces off of people, bigger people. He kind of just I don't know. He's he's got a spin move to him. Just a, I'm not saying he's as good as Jamal Charles. I do think he's as good at, or better than Ronald Jones, though. So just keep that in mind as, as we look at this and what and, Iowa State likes to do on offense. And he catches the ball really well. Yeah, no, he's terrific. So you know, I, not not a great blocker yet. He's a willing blocker, but not a great blocker in pass protection. And so they move him. A couple of key plays in that game, he wasn't on the field uh, because of that. So just keep that in mind. Um, Bobby, I'll, I'll, we'll wrap it up on this. If Colin Johnson's hamstring is, uh, unwilling and Texas finds itself in this game, either without Colin Johnson completely or without him, uh, at least in some capacity, how does that affect Texas's ability to win this game? No, I think it's greatly affected. I mean, we, we've proven no other receiver other than Devin DuVernay is ready for prime time. I, I think that's clear. Brendan yeah. Eagles is not not the answer. Malcolm Epps can't get on, can't get his timing and his routes right, can't come back to the ball. 
Uh, Jake Smith has had some issues, but he plays in the same spot as DuVernay. If they wanted to move DuVernay back outside, that might be something to look at, but I don't think they'll do it just for one game. I, I, I think that Texas loses one of its three true weapons on offense, and, and I think that Texas can can ill afford to be one one or even two-dimensional in this this capacity. I, I, anything, especially with no really – no real um, receiving option out of the tight end position. I mean, to be the tight end is a no go right now. They're not even using them uh, in, in the receiving game. So uh, I just feel like no Colin Johnson. I don't think there's anybody on the roster ready to go uh, because Brendan Eagles just is not that type. Malcolm Epps is not ready uh, mentally. It, it appears to me, and so I'd say that, that Texas is in real trouble if Colin Johnson can't go. Okay, so Jordan Whittington does not play last week. That means he still has three games he can play in and preserve his red shirt. To me, this is one. This is one. You've got to get him on the field if and use some two-back um, and figure out a way, either flex – Whittington out, use him uh, in you know some kind of receiver capacity because he can handle that, and and let's get creative here. This is a guy they have no they have no film on. Uh, this is a perfect time to spring um, some wrinkle uh, with Jordan Whittington involved, and and so I'm expecting that. I'm expecting that Saturday. Yeah, I, I would not expect that. <laughs> I, just, I think I think you're asking, I, I, and, I'll, and I'll say I'll tell you why. I think you're asking somebody to go away from everything that they've been doing for the last nine games. I mean, they haven't done that in nine games, Chip. I mean, you think they're going to roll it out in game ten? Oh, why, why wouldn't they have done that? Why wouldn't they have done that with Roshan Johnson and Keon Weaver? I mean, because Whittington's a better. I, I don't. Well, I don't now know, it's uh, necessity. Now it's necessity. You don't have okay. a tight end. You yeah, might not have I, Colin Johnson. I, I think that you're I think you're thinking like a normal person thinks and not like a football <laughs> coach thinks. A football coach thinks that, oh, I've been doing this, let's try to do this better, as opposed to let's do something new. I mean that, yeah. that's the whole that's the whole why Todd Orlando making some changes like he did that doesn't sound like much, but those are major scheme changes nine games into a season uh, that just that rarely rarely happens on on any level beyond you know junior high it just they don't do it that often so they, well, Bobby, if, they, if, they, if coaches are anything they are stubborn yeah <laughs> to a fault just, to just a remember, fault. remember that i hope i will say this i hope you're right because i think it'll show it a element that I'm I'm totally not expecting and would surprise Iowa State if executed well. Um but I, I just I would have to I'll I'll believe that when I see it. I'll the interesting the interesting thing is at Houston they did run a lot of two back with fly sweep action and of course that was Major Applewhite uh running it for Tom and now Tom's got a probably a committee of game planners, including Larry Fedora and Andre Coleman, in addition to Tim Beck and 
Herb Hand, which I think has bogged down things when they've needed to make adjustments. That's why I think last week uh, was a nice change of pace to see them just commit to the run and and stick with it and stick with it. And suddenly play action was was back and it looked like an offense again. I mean, they didn't have play action against OU or TCU. They looked completely lost. And and so uh, hopefully, hopefully Tom Herman reached back into his uh, his Houston playbook and and maybe dusted off some stuff that, you know, Jordan Whittington was coming in as a receiver. He's certainly capable of flexing out. Um, and who knows? I, I, I expect that this weekend. If I don't see it in this offense just tries to to run the same same old stuff, I expect John Haycock to um, to be ready for that. And they don't have Jaquan Bailey. Iowa State does not have Jaquan Bailey. That has hurt them in their pass rush. And, um, you know, they're, they've, they've been a little bit banged up, but they're getting healthy now. So uh, I'll tell you, was, they've got two guys on defense that I think are really talented. Uh, I, I think Mike Rose, is that the name, the yeah. linebacker number 23's name? And then uh, Greg Eisworth. Uh, out of South Grand Prairie, who uh, transferred from Ole Miss, I think, to them, is a is a real good player too. I think they've got two guys that are possible All Big Twelve types on that. Yeah, so. I I agree. Eisworth is is a, is their heart and soul, and he's the one who's been banged up with a shoulder, but he's he's getting healthier. Um, he was not he was not okay against Oklahoma State, and and it it showed. Uh, but he 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 appears to be getting healthier because he showed up a lot in the uh, in the OU game. Yep. Um, Bobby, great stuff as always, my man. We will we'll kick it around next week and uh, you know digest whatever has just happened in Ames. Yeah, I'm 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 highly interested in this chip because I think uh, as you both you and I both know, this Vegas favors Iowa State. And, you know, if, if that's the case, you know, we're, we're going to – it'll be a – some Texas fans won't be happy this time next week. Well, I'll put it that way. Well, and Iowa State opened as a six-and-a-half-point favorite, and the line has gone up to seven. So <laughs> the, the public money is coming in on, uh, on Iowa State. Bobby, yeah. great stuff as always. We'll, uh, we'll do it again next week. All right, take care, Chip. Texas hits the road this week to face Iowa State, who's coming off of a really, really close game against Oklahoma where they fell 42-41. to But joining us now on the flagship podcast to break down the Cyclones is publisher of CycloneAlert.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network, Alex Halstead. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Trying to stay warm up here in, in Iowa. I had to fill up my tires with some air today. It's 19 degrees as I talk to you now. I think it's going to get warmer by Saturday, but... Uh, uh, it'll be an interesting game, Saturday, so uh, thanks for having me on to discuss it. Yeah, no problem. Oh, I mean, the weather's been a big topic around here because these Texas boys are definitely not not used to that. I mean, I'm from California. I live in Texas, and I'm freezing here, and it's not even close to that, so I cannot imagine what the the kind of atmosphere is going to be there. I was uh, yeah down in Oklahoma to cover Iowa State, Oklahoma this weekend. It was a nice little reprieve. Uh, I think it got up towards 70 there, and I come back home, and it's 
like seven degrees on Monday. So <laughs> it, it's hard to get used to. And I know uh, haven't had to deal with that too much in Texas, but I know I don't think it'll be a huge issue. I think like Tom Herman mentioned, but it, it's always something interesting. Just I think the first time ever that Texas has come up here to Ames in the month of, no- of November. So, well, Alex, um, the last time Iowa State was at home, they lost to Oklahoma State. Uh, Brock Purdy, who is one of the best quarterbacks in the country, had three interceptions, including a pick six that ultimately proved to be the game-winning points for Oklahoma State. Then they go to OU, and the offense is unbelievable, and Purdy throws for five touchdowns. What, what, what are we expecting to see from from Iowa State offensively, what what was the problem against Oklahoma State, and and then why was it all working against OU? Yeah, that's that's a good question, and it's kind of was what was maybe the talking point after Oklahoma State is kind of what went wrong, and I think a couple things went wrong in in that game. One, uh, they fell behind early. They gave up some big plays to Oklahoma State defensively that put them in a hole, and they never got down really big to Oklahoma State, but they got down by eleven, and once they got down in that game, things kind of got away. From from, I think, their, their offensive staff a little bit and then offensively a little bit away from what they normally do. Brock Purdy ended up throwing the ball 62 times against Oklahoma State, and that's mm. not Iowa State's style. That's not what Matt Campbell wants to do. He likes to be pretty well balanced. They've never um, thrown that much. That was the most attempts uh, in a game in Iowa State history. Um, he had the most completions in a, in a game in Iowa State history, but uh, that's just too many times to throw the ball 62 times, especially in the game that you're in. You know, It got to 27-all, and they were still throwing the ball, and that's when he threw the pick six. And then they're down, and he's trying to play catch-up, and he threw two more interceptions uh, before that game was over. So uh, you look back to the Oklahoma game. They got down 21 points to Oklahoma at one point uh, this last week in Norman. They were still running the ball with Brees Hall, and I asked Brock Purdy about that today, and he said they, they learned from that Oklahoma State game that they got to stick with the run even in those moments. And so I think they learned a little bit from that Oklahoma State game, and I think that's one thing you know that people are maybe expecting going into this Texas game is to be a little bit more balanced and – um, kind of trust Brock Purdy, but not ask him to do too much. Yeah, that's it's interesting because Texas, I think, learned the same lesson. Uh, they they same thing. They didn't have uh, uh, a handle on their running game against OU and TCU. They became one dimensional. Um, Sam Ellinger started turning it over and turning it over. Four interceptions against TCU, and by gosh, against K State. Uh, they were determined to run the ball, and they did, and they outran K-State, and Keontae Ingram probably played his best game as a Longhorn. Um, but Brees Hall is is a really interesting character because he's a freshman. And, you know, tell us about his recruitment. I mean, he, our publisher at Horns247.com, and everybody needs to uh, uh, get over and become a member at Horns247.com, you know what I'm saying? Um because Bobby Burton's the the godfather. He started this whole business. But, but he, he said that Brees Hall reminded him a little bit of Jamal Charles. And and so, you know, tell us about Brees Hall because he's kind of emerged on the scene here after midseason. Yeah, Brees Hall is an interesting guy. Uh, one of the kind of the, the top guy from their, their last recruiting class. Uh, one of the top guys. And he's a top 247 prospect, a four-star prospect by 24-7 Sports. Um, and one of the, the top running backs in the country in the last recruiting cycle. And so a lot of expectations were on him, you know, coming in. You're replacing David Montgomery, who was three and done to the NFL, uh, now the primary back for the Chicago Bears. 
And so that's kind of a little bit of a weight on Brees Hall's shoulders. But he actually didn't really start the season as the guy. You know, the first four or five games, he got a few carries here and there, but he wasn't really, you know, being utilized a ton. And then he came in against West Virginia, 100-plus yards, uh, first true freshman with 100-plus yards since David Montgomery in 2016. And he's kind of taken the job from there. The last four games, he's been the guy. Um, he's been a uh, 100-yard rusher in three of the last four games. The one game he didn't have 100 yards uh, was against Oklahoma State. He had uh, 72 yards, but again, that was a game they threw the ball 62 times. Um, so he's still pretty productive in that game. Uh, he's got 14 targets out of the backfield. He's called all 14 passes. So he's a little bit more multi-use than maybe even Montgomery was, where they're using him as a passer. So uh, Matt Campbell, one of the pers- people he's compared him to, um, he thinks he's more like Kareem Hunt uh, than he is David Montgomery. Uh, you know, Matt Campbell's obviously coached both of those players. So uh, people here are pretty excited about him. I think people wondered, was there going to be a drop-off in the running game? And all of a sudden, they're at, their running game is probably actually better than it was last year. Not to say that's just because of Brees Hall. Their, their offensive line is better, too. But um, that's been the big reason that they're kind of maybe more of a full offense than they were early in the season. Where where has Iowa State, uh, where have they figured it out? And where are they still struggling? Well, you know, starting on the defensive side, I think a lot of the things are, are still the same, as you've seen in recent years under John Haycock in that three three five defense. They don't give up a lot of big plays, although that's been an issue at times the last couple of weeks. I think a little bit of that you have to credit the opponents. Uh, Tylen Wallace is a really good player out for the season, obviously now for Oklahoma State, but he made a couple incredible plays and had a had a couple big uh, chunk plays against Iowa State. And then CeeDee Lamb had a couple last week that really killed him. But those are both really good players. Uh, for the most part, they have not given up a lot of big plays. That's what that 3-3-5 is designed to do. You know, you're dropping seven or eight defensive backs, and, you know, you're not you know, giving up a lot of those big plays. But the problem defensively probably for them has been they have not forced a lot of turnovers. Um, that's been one thing. And then third downs, they've not been great on. Uh, this was going into this last week, so it probably actually changed a little bit with Jalen Hurts. But there was a point, um, you know, going into that last week, on third downs, when quarterbacks had run, they'd given up 82% of those conversions on quarterback runs on third downs. So, you know, mobile quarterbacks have hurt them on third and long. Um, so I'd say turnovers in, in third down has hurt them the most on the defensive side. When you look at the offensive side, I think it's been consistency a little bit. Uh, they've been a lot more consistent since, you know, conference play started. Um, but I think it's just kind of staying in that rhythm and, and finding some consistency. But their offense has been pretty good and probably uh, a big – Big surprise for them. I think they're top 25 nationally in quite a few of the main statistics, and that's a lot of a lot of credit to Brock Purdy, but also um, the boost in that running game. You know, Alex, one thing that we've kind of talked about a little bit today on our podcast is as of Tuesday, Iowa State is a seven-point favorite over Texas entering this game. Um, I think some Texas fans might be wondering where that's coming from. Um, you know, I think Chip and I know how much Texas has struggled, especially in recent years um, when playing in Ames. You know, where do you see where Iowa State has the biggest advantage and the biggest disadvantage against this Texas team? Yeah, talking about that seven-point line, this is the first time in history Iowa State's been favored against Texas. Uh, they've met 16 times, and Iowa State's never been favored in those 16 matchups, so definitely a different place for them to be in in this one. And um, I think a lot of that maybe has to do with, one, it being in Ames I think helps a little bit, but also Iowa State's four losses have come by, come by combined 11 points. All the teams uh, currently ranked in the top 24 or top 25 of the college football playoffs. So uh, I thought the line was a little high, but it's definitely an, an interesting note by you, and uh, that, that'll be interesting to watch as, as the game gets closer. But 
Um, probably the biggest thing for Iowa State, I think, going into this game, um, you know, it's probably somewhat of the of the matchup of, you know, can Iowa State's offense put up points against a, a Texas defense that's getting healthier? Um, that's one thing Matt Campbell mentioned today is just the elite talent that Texas has. And he said, you know, he knows they're young and he knows that they've been banged up. But he said you can kind of see the progress as some of those guys start to come back. So, you know, what, what can Texas do against, you know, this Iowa State offense that's, you know, been pretty good? They, they scored 41 points last week against Oklahoma, the most points they've ever scored against Oklahoma. Um, you know, they've consistently really put up points. Um, and, and they've you know been able to produce some big plays at times. So I think that's going to be one matchup that I'm really interested to watch, um, especially the, the, through the through the air. I think uh, you guys will know better, but off the top of my head, I think Texas has given up something like 300 yards passing per game. Brock Purdy's you know up there in terms of passing yards per game nationally. Uh, that's one area I would say tries to be balanced in, but Purdy's have the ability to make some big plays, especially with the the increased use of their of their tight ends. So uh, I'm really interested to see that matchup. Yeah, it's also uh, interesting to sort of compare and contrast last year's game um, when Texas really got after Purdy. Now, David Montgomery did not play in the first half of that game. Texas was able to sack Purdy six times and really jumped on Iowa State and, you know, got up 17 to three, then 24 to three, ended up winning it 24 to 10. And Purdy's obviously a year better. He's been through. Um, all kinds of different situations on the road, having just uh, played at OU, so he's not going to be uh, he's not going to be surprised by anything that that Texas throws at him. Um, it's it is interesting that both these teams have struggled to get a pass rush uh, at times. Obviously, Iowa State without Jaquan Bailey, and I, I wanted to ask you, uh, talking to Alex Halstead uh, of CycloneAlert.com, and you know, uh, Greg Eisworth is kind of a heart and soul player for them, it seems. And he had a shoulder injury. Alex, tell us about, um, I think he suffered it against West Virginia. Uh, but tell us what, you know, what, you know, the key guys on defense who are going to have to play big for Iowa State to win this game. Who, who are they? Yeah, I think you start with Greg Eisworth. You can tell the difference when he's not out there, and he has been in and out a little bit over the course of the last month. He missed the West Virginia game, didn't start against Texas Tech, but then played most of that game. Against Oklahoma State, he got hurt on the sixth play, did not play most of that game then, um, didn't come back after that sixth play, and then he did return last week against Oklahoma. Didn't start, but played pretty much the whole game. So you can tell the difference when he's not out there. Iowa State's defense has given up some bigger plays when he's not out there. Um, and he's just, he's like you said, he's kind of the heart and soul and the difference maker. He's going to be one guy. Uh, he, he made it through the Oklahoma game without getting injured. So he should be good to go against Texas. Uh, the question is just, that, you know, how long can he play? Can he play the whole game? It's really more, I think, a pain tolerance thing than anything else. So uh, he's kind of the main guy. But you mentioned it there. They don't get a lot of pressure in terms of sacks this year. I think that's one of the things with the 3 3 5. I think you see it, you hear a little bit from fans. They'd like to have uh, a little bit more pressure at times. Uh, but their pressure really relies on do they bring blitzing or blitzes um, because, you know, that three-man front, you know, uh, Ray Lehman in the middle is typically getting double teamed. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's more so taking up some of those blockers and then bringing a blitz. And their, their leading sack guy is middle linebacker Ryan Vance. He's got six and a half sacks this season, uh, even while missing uh, a couple games. So, um, so he's kind of the guy. Him and Mike Rose and Marcel Spears are their, their three linebackers. You'll see them come on different blitzes. 
Um, and a lot of times, if there's going to be pressure, it's going to come from one of those three guys coming on a blitz, kind of as that fourth guy. So uh, I say Greg Eisworth is the heart and soul. Uh, Ray Lehman is pretty important. You're not going to see him put up huge numbers, but most teams double team him as the nose guard. Um, and then a lot of their, their pressure does come uh, from their middle, from their linebacking position. They're, they're pretty young on the, on the outside. Um, their, their three main corners are uh, soft, two of them sophomores and one of them a redshirt freshman. So they're pretty young. Um, but, uh, you know, they haven't given up a ton of huge plays. If, if they have, it's typically been on shorter stuff that then they miss some tackles. And special teams, um, give us the Texas has really struggled on special teams. Uh, even their field goal kicker, Cameron Dicker, who's hit two walk-off game winners, both against the Kansas schools uh, in Austin, but he's missed some field goals too. He missed a, a, a bunny 26-yarder against TCU. I uh, missed another one last week against K-State. Uh, but they did get a, a 53-yard punt return that helped set up a touchdown, and Texas has been god-awful on punt returns this season. So um, where is Iowa State? Uh, how are they on special teams? Where are they strong? Where are they weak? Yeah, they've had some struggles at kicker this year. Um, you know, they, they've been pretty good at times, but when I mentioned before, you know, that their four losses come by 11 points, you could probably pinpoint a little bit that on the kicking game. Uh, against Baylor, they lost uh, that game by – uh, two points. They missed the 49-yard field goal and had a 49-yard field goal blocked in that game. They lost to Iowa by one point. They missed a field goal in that game. Um, so there's a couple games that maybe come down to, to making kicks. And they've been pretty good from from shorter distances, especially probably inside 40. Uh, but outside 40, there, there's just not uh, probably been a lot of confidence in that, I'd say, probably going into this this later part of, of November. Um, you look at the return game. Kanae Nwangwu is a former uh, all big 12 kick returned as a, as a freshman suffered an Achilles injury. Now he's back. Most teams will kick it out of the end zone. They don't really kick it to him. Uh, last week you saw him bring a couple outside the 30 yard line. He's dangerous. Um, you know, he's the fastest player on their team, a former Texas uh, sprinter in high school. That was a pretty good hundred uh, meter guy um, from Frisco, but you know, most teams just don't kick it to him. And then punt return, you know, I don't, I haven't seen Texas's, um, but probably along the lines of, of what you mentioned, it's not like they've been bad, but they fair, they fair catch quite a bit of stuff. They don't really try to return a lot of stuff, and so you haven't really seen an explosive punt return from them this year. So not a whole lot of bad. I mean, in a lot of areas, they're pretty good. They've been pretty good on punt coverage and kick coverage, uh, but the return games, just there's just not been a lot of explosion from either, and a lot of it's because it seems they're either kicking away from Canada Longru uh, or I would say fair caught pretty much everything in the punt return game. Talking to Alex Halstead of CycloneAlert.com, and Alex will just tell you, Texas punt return game has been bad. I mean, there was up at, and I, I think it may be close to even now, but they were one of the only teams that was actually averaging negative yards <laughs> before last huh. week's punt return. So, I mean, yeah, it's it, there's no sugarcoating. It's not a either or. It's been terrible. But, um, you know, kind of changing uh, pace a little bit, Tom Herman obviously has spent some time in Ames when he was offensive coordinator under former head coach Paul Rhodes. You know, I'm not sure if you know kind of what the vibe is that people have about Tom Herman, but give us your kind of take on Tom Herman, how he's perceived in Ames based off of his time that he spent um, as the offensive coordinator for the Cyclones. Yeah, I think a little bit of his perception gets probably skewed because of what he had to work with here. Um, You know, I I think in general, I think people saw him go on to Ohio State and what he did was like, man, that guy was at Iowa State and you kind of, I think it's kind of crazy just because of what he did there and what he's done at Texas, especially in terms of like offensive scheming. 
And a lot of it was he didn't really have a good offensive line at Iowa State in his time here. And so I think a lot of that perception when he was here, I don't know if anyone said this guy's the next, you know, great offensive coordinator, coordinator at Ohio State and going to be the head coach at Texas because I just don't think he had the personnel under Paul Rhodes to ever do those things. But obviously he was creative. You know, I think uh, I heard – um, Todd McShay talked about how he, he spent like a film session with Urban Meyer the year before um, Herman left Iowa State and they were watching Iowa State film and what Tom Herman was doing at Iowa State and then obviously that offseason Urban Meyer hired him at Ohio State and so like even when he was at Ohio at Iowa State you know I think he was doing some things creatively and 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 that sort of thing but I just don't know if he ever had the quarterback or the especially the offensive line to protect that quarterback, to do all the things that obviously he's gone on and done since. So it's almost kind of like a, a skewed perception. I don't think, I think obviously people really respect what he's done now, but when he was at Iowa State, they never really all culminated into a success, but not necessarily because of him as much as just, I don't know if those years they really had all the pieces to do it. Um, Alex, we'll let you go on this. Texas is the one team in the Big 12 that that Matt Campbell has not yet beaten. How does this game play out on Saturday in your mind? Yeah, he was asked about that today. Uh, he was, he's beaten every team in the Big 12, including Iowa State, when he was at Toledo. So uh, <laughs> this is this is literally the, the only Big 12 team he has not beaten. Uh, this would be 10 for 10 for him uh, if he can do it this weekend. But um, he, he was asked about that today, and he said that he thinks Texas is um, the most talented team or tied for the most talented team in the Big 12 alongside Oklahoma and that – you know, when you're going to play a team like that, it's, it's obviously difficult to beat them. But to beat them, uh, you're going to have to do it with kind of the, the detail and stuff. And that gets cliche with him. He talks about the detail and the, those little things a lot. But at Iowa State, they play a ton of um, one-score games. I think 46% of the games since Matt Campbell's been at Iowa State have been decided by one score. So they're going to play a lot of close games. And I think that's kind of been what's bit them this year. Last week against Oklahoma, they dropped three interceptions in the first half. Uh, you got to make some of those plays if you're going to beat teams like Oklahoma and Texas. And so um, I think it's going to be a close game. I, I'm kind of surprised by the fact that the betting line, uh, as Taylor mentioned before, is Iowa State favored by seven. Um, I think it's possible, you know, that Iowa State wins by a touchdown or something. But I just think there's so many variables, and I'm interested to see how they bounce back from now. Two consecutive losses, one of them basically on a pick six against Oklahoma State, uh, and one of them that they had a two point conversion with two options open and, and they just couldn't convert it to pull off the upset against Oklahoma. Which way does this team go? Because this is a team that had aspirations to be in the big 12 title game to have a type of season that Baylor's having right now. Baylor has won four big 12 games by 14 combined points. Iowa state's lost four games a season by 11 combined points. They're having like mere seasons. Iowa state fans like are kind of envious of what Baylor's doing because that's the season that this team could have if they've won some of those close games. But I'm interested to see against Texas, does Iowa State go down the road where they still want to be eight and four or do things start to get away from this team against Texas? And later on, they have to go to Kansas State. So they got two really tough games and that aspect left that this could be a six and six type season or they could still play for an eight and four type season, uh, which, as you guys know, has not been done a ton in Iowa State history. It, it's I think down there in Texas, you know, people aren't very happy with an eight and four season. I don't think it's satisfying to Campbell anymore to just be eight and four. But I think fans would take that if they can somehow uh, pull that off still. And last thing, I mean, he's, um, you know, he's had his contract extended there. What's the sense of uh, your sense of Matt Campbell and, and you know, how long he's at Iowa State? Yeah, it's, his name keeps getting thrown around. His name's thrown, been thrown around at Florida State. 
Um, Arkansas fans want him. Um, I don't think I don't see that one at all. But um, I think Campbell's going to be pretty calculated. I don't think I think it'd be naive to say he's never going to leave Iowa State. That he's never going to entertain anything. But I think he's pretty calculated in what he might want to do. Um, I think he turns 41 here at the end of the month. Um, he's still pretty young, and I think he knows that you know there's still things he can do. I think I think he sees things like what Baylor's doing this year, and I think he thinks he can get Iowa State to a Big 12 title game. Um, and they don't really lose a ton from this year's roster. He has Brock Purdy for probably two more years. So I think he thinks he can do something at Iowa State, but I, I think there is an opportunity potentially that you look at Michigan, uh, Notre Dame, Penn State. Um, those are the type of jobs that I think really interest him potentially down the road because those are in his recruiting territory. That's where he's always been. I think the jobs like that he's turned down, like you know, turning down an interview with Tennessee, supposedly he's maybe denied interest in, in Arkansas. I'm not, not sure he would be that interested in Florida State. I think jobs like that aren't as sure things for him as maybe a Midwest job, but I think some of those Midwest jobs are tied up right now. And so I think he's happy at Iowa State, uh, but I think it'd be naive to think that he won't ever entertain one of those premier Midwest jobs. Alex, great stuff, man. Alex Halstead from CycloneAlert.com. I will be wearing about seven layers uh, for this game Saturday. Um, hand warmers, whatever, those little hand uh, salts thing. Anyway, um, listen, stay warm, my man, and thanks for the time. Yeah, I'll try to get rid of the snow before you make your way up here. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, talk Alex to you guys later. All right, there he is. Fantastic stuff. All right, Taylor, it is time to uh, wrap things up. Great stuff with Bobby Burton um, as well. And, of course, get over to Horns247.com so you can hang out with us all the time, not just on the podcast. Hang out with us all the time. We got chats going, uh, my, my True or False Tuesday chats. We got uh, the mailbag, fire away with questions, put me on the hot seat. And, of course, the all-staff chat on Wednesdays, the Eyes of Texas, uh, where Taylor and I just get after our sources and and just shake them down for every piece of news we can get. So um, Our sources every over. Wednesday are like, oh, no, here it comes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God. They're calling again. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, uh, Taylor, why don't you give me a tailgate takeaway for Texas heading into this game Saturday against Iowa State? You know, I'm going to go on the offensive side of the ball based off of something that Sam Ellinger said during the player availability on Tuesday. So, you know, one thing that I did not mention in the open was the lack of drop-off that you saw from um, Derek Kersetter having to move over, allow Denzel Okafor to come in the game to replace Junior Engelau, who went down with uh, an MCL or injury against Kansas State. You know, I thought that was something that was really interesting to see. You know, Denzel Okafor is not a young player. You know, he hasn't started a lot in recent years. He was able to redshirt um, last season, but, you know, he, he started his first – or, you know, started and played during his first two seasons at Texas. And, uh, you know, I thought that was really something that the offense in general needs to take away as a huge positive because, you know, offensive line is what – these games are won in the trenches. That's what football is. And Texas has had some ups and downs on offensive line. It started off really well this season, I thought, and then just kind of hit a wall a little bit, uh, you know, in the game against Oklahoma, allowing nine sacks on Sam Ellinger, you know, wasn't great against TCU. They've had a lot of penalty issues. But I thought that that was something, seeing Denzel look for come in and seeing that Texas was able to continue 
with a successful running game and running attack against Kansas State. You know, that's something I'm going to be watching going into this game because I think Texas is going to have to run the ball a lot. I mean, it's going to be cold. There's no doubt about it, you know, and I think it's probably easier to hand the ball off than to catch a pass if the ball is frozen. So, you know, Sam kind of talked about today or uh, Tuesday, excuse me, um, what, you know, he's going to just kind of have to keep his hands warm and they're going to have to just make sure that they're feeling the ball a lot. So I think that, you know, watching Derek Kersetter, Denzel Okafor, the offensive line, how well that they can do on the road um, and open up the running game because, you know, how you had mentioned earlier in the show, you know, Keontae Ingram had a career day. He was actually named the Earl uh, Campbell Tyler Rose Player of the Week for his performance against Kansas State. Texas has Jordan Whittington. You know, he didn't play against K-State, but now he's has an extra week of being healthy. You know, they have Roshan Johnson. I think that they're going to probably utilize a run-heavy attack against this Iowa State defense. And, you know, I think it's going to start up front. So what I'm watching is to see continued progression from the Texas offensive line with um, out Junior Angulau in the mix. But Chip, what about you? What is your tailgate take? I think that's a great that's a great point because obviously Junior Angulau's out with the MCL sprain, and that is not a season ender. Mm-hmm. Uh, that injury indicates it was a partial tear, not a full tear. So, depending on what grade uh, that sprain is, um, you know he might might be able to come back. But nonetheless, that's a huge development and a, and a great point to to uh, note. I'm going to talk about I've talked a lot about the defense I think they're they're getting their fastball back Todd Orlando's getting his mojo back but special teams Taylor I mean it just seems like this has been a disaster (laughs) and you know they have the I mean Brandon Jones the 53 yard punt return it was like a sign of the apocalypse that oh my gosh Texas actually made a play on a punt return they didn't muff it they didn't screw up the fair catch. They didn't let the ball drop and it rolls to the one. They Brandon Jones fielded the punt and went upfield 53 yards and set up a touchdown. Now, the very next damn play after the touchdown, they give up a 98-yard kick return for a touchdown. <laughs> Are you effing kidding me? It's like Jekyll and Hyde here. <laughs> yes, and enough, enough. If Texas, it, the the arrow has to be pointed up. It has to be a positive day on special teams. And look, Chris Nagar deserves a ton of credit for his performance uh, in in relief of the injured Ryan Buchevsky because Nagar had three punts, forty three point seven yard average, and and two downed, um, you know, one down inside the twenty, the other downed inside the ten. Mm-hmm. So that's what it's all about. I mean, that's that's and Cameron Dicker, which is just weird. He well, look, he missed a 55 yarder into the wind. So that's not it, I don't even know what Tom Herman was thinking there. But it wasn't the um, TCU miss. So that's right. The TCU miss is the one that was like, huh, 26 <laughs> yards. Yeah. What? But there's just been this. There's just been a problem every damn game with special teams. And enough. If you're going to go on the road and you have serious intentions of of winning this game, so that you can basically set up your, uh, you know, control your destiny to the Big Twelve title game, then 
clean up special teams. It's got to be positive. The return game's got to be positive. Dicker has got to, you know, he can't have the 26-yard miss. He's been fantastic on on game winners, but he can't have the 26-yard miss. And and Nagar's got to keep doing what he's doing. Uh, if they, because I think about the K State game last year, Taylor, mm-hmm. and Texas was kind of in a similar spot. You didn't quite know if they were going up or down in their season, and Deshaun Jamison had an 80-plus yard punt return in a 19-14 win, and it was the turning point in the game. It was the momentum that that Texas that propelled Texas to the win. That's the kind of play that Texas is going to need in this game. Those special teams plays shut up a crowd faster than anything. So Texas, your special teams have not been special whatsoever, except for my man, um, Deshaun Jameson returning a kick 98 yards to cover the spread against rice and the 53 yard punt return. Otherwise it's been the the Cameron Dicker show. So, uh, (laughs) So go get them. I mean, special teams. Be special. Well, Chip. Get, oh, go ahead. Getting Chris, Brown, getting Chris Brown back helps. He's a special teams guy too. Yeah, no problem. No, no doubt about it. And one thing, you know, that you have to take as a positive. It, this is like, you know, the small moral victories. Is Texas is now in the positive yardage of punt returns because that's right. Before Four Kansas yards. State, yeah. Before Kansas yes. State, that was not the case. So How about that. Think it's about that. Crazy. Absolutely I mean, crazy. I mean, Jake Smith's longest pump return this season is two yards. Two. <laughs> two. Well, most of the time, it was him chasing down the ball and hoping he was the one getting on top of it. Yeah. So that uh, and yeah, and Jake Smith, hang in there, man. Hang in there. You got to grind. You got to. You got to look. You're gonna have some ups and downs. That's part of maturing. That's as Sam Ellinger said. Listen, I went through all kinds of adversity to become the player I am now. I mean, that's, that's all part of it. So yeah, don't give up. Um, You know, you have a senior ahead of you that's playing lights out in Devin DuVernay. Your time will come. And then it's yours. Yes. And then it's yours. The, that slot position is yours. That's the 90 catch position in this offense. And you're, it's yours. Yeah. So no doubt. Come on. Yeah. Grind it out. (laughs) All right, Taylor. Great stuff. Everybody get over to horns 24, com and hang out with us all all day long, all week long, all year long. And uh, and then we'll talk to you again next week on uh, the flagship podcast. Thanks to Taylor and Bobby and Alex Halstead. And, and thank you for listening. Enjoy.